Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't know why you came all the way up here. There's nothing left. John Krasinski's A Quiet Place 2 opened in theaters last weekend with an encouraging 57 million, the highest debut for a movie since the start of the pandemic. The sequel to the 2018 Paramount thriller follows a family trying to survive in a world inhabited by deadly predators that are blind but can hear the slightest sound. Emily Blunt reprises her role as Evelyn, and Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe return as her children, Reagan and Marcus. New cast members include Killian Murphy as another survivor, Emmett. With creatures that hunt by what they hear, sound is a central part of the story, and this work was led by supervising sound editors Eric Adal and Ethan Vanderine, who were Oscar-nominated in sound editing for their work on the original A Quiet Place. Ethan is a two-time Academy Award winner for Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and King Kong. He teamed with the doll on titles including Transformers Dark of the Moon and Best Picture winner Argo, for which they received additional Oscar nominations. I'm Carolyn Jardina, and today Eric and Ethan are our guests on The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. So, Eric and Ethan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be here. It's a pleasure. Can I tell you how much I enjoyed hearing your work in a theater? Yes, please tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you actually finished this before the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. We actually finished it in, I believe, towards, um, it was February of 2020. So pretty much um, very soon before the, the shutdown happened in March. And we were we were final mixing in New York. So that was kind of the epicenter uh just 
just a week later, maybe after after we flew home. Yeah, very very bizarre and uh, and strange. Also, how the movies seem to have such corollaries with the pandemic too, in a, in a strange way. This sense of people having to isolate and be holed up in their bunkers uh, for safety and just leaving. You know, leaving the homestead in the film was kind of a similar feeling to leaving our own homes to try to grocery shop and feeling in danger for quite a while. Uh, It's kind of surreal. Well, how does it feel now that you had the opening weekend? It did very well this weekend. And knowing that people are seeing it in a theater, uh, I saw it in Dolby Atmos. (laughs) It's super gratifying um, that the, you know, that Paramount was was willing to hold on to it long enough to wait for you know to get through far enough through the pandemic that that people would be willing to start going back to theaters because you know for us this is it's so important to see and and hear this movie in a in a proper you know temple of of sound and and vision which you know movie theaters really are these movies are meant to be an experience, you know, where we we take you on this journey and put you into the shoes of our characters and and the eyes and ears of our characters, where we experience the world as, in a way, as they're experiencing it. And so, you know, it's important to do that in the best environment possible to really have the full experience and the the other part of these movies you know that makes a theatrical experience kind of special is the idea of seeing it with other people together and sort of having it be a collective experience where you're not just alone you know watching it in your living room with the dishwasher going in the background and pausing it every 10 minutes to go up and get something to eat where it's really um, you're forced in a way to, 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 to live through the, the experience as our characters are and to have that experience with other people becomes, becomes important on these. I mean, obviously, you know, we feel like that's important on all movies and these movies in particular, it feels like it's, sort of there's a special magic to that experience that communal experience right so um let's talk about your work um the movie opens with a scene that shows the start of the invasion so so it begins with those more familiar sounds uh before you enter into the movie's more quiet soundscape would you tell us about crafting that scene yeah so um a quiet place part one the movie starts a few weeks or months um, into this invasion and uh, we're dropped right into the middle of um, what this family is having to go through to survive. And part two, well, John did a pretty clever little sleight of hand in the very beginning. You know, we cut to this empty town street that's desolate and there's a little flagpole dinging and there's there's a, a... uh, street light creaking in the wind and the little light bulbs tinking from one color to the next. And, uh, you know, you're lulled into thinking, oh, we're back into, you know, this 
abandoned world. And uh, then this truck brooms in and skids to a stop, and Lee Abbott, um, John Krasinski's character, steps out and slams the door way too loud, and you, which is kind of a shock. <laughs> and uh, then a title card comes up day one, and you realize, okay, we're going back in time now to how this whole thing started. And I, I love what John, how John choreographed the opening, um, because you're going through sort of the mundane routines of normal life, you know, going into the market to get oranges and chatting with the clerk, and there's uh, TVs on, and you hear a news report about something concerning on the other side of the world, and we walk down the street to a little league game, and for something so mundane, there's such growing tension <laughs> with it, which I which I absolutely love. And uh, and then finally, the tension takes another step up when you see fireballs starting to come from the sky, and then it's um, then it's all about uh, sort of the visceral terror of sight and sound as the creatures appear. For, for us, I think one of the wonderful things about that opening sequence is it's 10 minutes of pure sound design. There's no music. It's just purely creating the reality of um, this scenario. And then, again, establishing uh, what we came to call sonic points of view, which, um, which our director John labeled um, sonic envelopes. And that's where we can, uh, through sound, put the audience right into the point of view of a character. And in the opening, um, in particular, Regan, the daughter who happens to be deaf, uh, played by Millicent Simmons, who is deaf in real life. And uh, through sound, we can sort of paint that experience of her experience. And uh, within kind of the chaos of that first day, there's something even more terrifying about popping into her point of view of almost no sound. And uh, I think that's one of the kind of amazing gifts that uh, A Quiet Place Part 1 and Part 2 has given us as sound designers is being able to do those kind of experiments that, um, that one wouldn't expect would make it more terrifying, but, uh, but really, really does. Do, do you want to elaborate on how you did uh, the sound for her perspective um, when she's wearing the cochlear implant? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as hearing people, there's no way for me and Ethan to know exactly what that experience is like. But the way in talking and researching, it's almost an internal kind of sound, the sound of your body and the sound of the, the internal rumble of heart and blood. And what Ethan and I did um, to kind of experience that feeling for ourselves was visit an anechoic chamber. And an anechoic chamber is uh, an environment that is completely sealed, not just acoustically, 
but um, also electromagnetically and electrically from the outside world. And you walk into this chamber and this big hatch seals behind you. And immediately there's this very unsettling sense because there's no, any sound you make, there's no reflection coming back to you. And after a few minutes, you notice that you start to lose your balance because your ears are so critical to balance. You start to hear your own body as your brain readjusts to this lower sound threshold. And it's really quite a surreal and bizarre experience. But that was for us the closest personal corollary we could have to deafness and the experience of having a cochlear implant, which um, as Regan, uh, the actress who plays Regan, Millicent Simmons, how she kind of described it to, to us through through her mother is that that is, that is sort of that sound with the cochlear implant. And of, of course, there's a couple moments um, in the in the films where we turn the cochlear implant off and that's the only time where we have absolute pure digital silence um, and in part two we stretched that out as as much as <laughs> we possibly could in a moment where um uh, where she loses her her implant and and those uh those moments of complete silence are just so effective thank you and and the first time we tried it, too, it just gave us goosebumps. There was something really shocking about it. You don't expect that in a film. And uh, and there's also something uh, that really is heartbreaking also, knowing uh, the struggles that Regan is going through herself. And just having that switched off with pure silence um, really to me, emotionally connects me to her character in a, in a way that's really unique to what cinema can do. I, I did experience that. Let's move on to the creatures. Would you describe how you created their sounds? Yeah. So, you know, the, on, the, on the first film, really, we did a lot of creature exploration. It was a, quite the journey to figure out what it needed to be at the end. You know, it wasn't immediately clear. Um, you know, we tried a lot of different things, um, but early on, we started discussing with John the idea that the, the creature has, you know, different modes of being, different sonic modes. There's a, you know, a searching mode where it's sort of trying to search out prey, um, and there is a, a navigation mode where it's basically sonically trying to draw a map of its surroundings through echolocation. Um, and then it has an attack mode. And, you know, we did a lot of experimentation with, with each one of these modes. Um, this, the searching mode sort of became one of the more interesting areas because we, we looked to the real world for um, for animals, you know, in the real world that use echolocation to navigate, um, you know, dolphins and bats and things like that that make these sort of clicking, chirping sounds that can bounce off geography and reflect back to them. And we started playing with those actual real world sounds, but sort of quickly realized these feel all too real world what 
would be the alien version of this. And one of our sound designers, Brandon Jones, started playing with a stun gun. And, you know, at a normal speed, it gives you this very fast sort of clicking noise, but then slowed down back in the studio, it becomes these, you know, very pronounced clicks that have this otherworldly electronic-y kind of feel, which, you know, turned out to be sort of just right for these, these creatures in searching mode. And it's funny part of that story is, um, you know, we experimented with using the stun gun against all sorts of different items. And what turned out to be the best was we had a, a bowl of grapes in the kitchen of our studio where we work. And, you know, grapes are similar to human bodies in the sense they have a thin skin with a fleshy interior that, you know, conducts the the electricity from the stun gun. And so that ended up to be the, the magic combination of the stun gun against the grapes. And then that sound pitched down became our clicks for the searching mode. The attack modes um, is, and we also called that kind of the pain slash attack mode because um, it was really whenever these creatures became agitated, they start to make this variety of sounds, which is almost a shrieking uh, trill. And we say pain and attack um, because that is, that's all under the umbrella of agitation. If there's a sound that's too loud that the creature gets upset about, they make that sound. Or if they're tracking their prey and, and attacking, they're also making that sound. When, uh, when Regan realizes that um, her cochlear implant is actually a sonic weapon, uh, something that can uh, lower the defenses of these creatures. Again, when when they react to it, it's that same kind of category of sound. Unfortunately, John, our director, has asked us to not reveal um, the source material <laughs> for those sounds. <laughs> but um, I think we can say that they're not based on animal recordings at all. They're not, they're not actual creatures. They're a variety of sounds made through the physics of friction. So I hope that's uh, not too obfuscating an answer for you. <laughs> well, we'll ask more later. <laughs> okay, yeah. Maybe we'll get permission uh, eventually. <laughs> With the heightened sounds of the characters as they uh, walk or as they touch things, we, we absolutely need to talk about the work of the Foley team. So for the, the Foley, which becomes so critical in these movies, interestingly enough, on these movies, um, even though sound is obviously a big part in creating the experience and creating the power of the movie, we didn't have a big budget to work with. So... We were really needing to be smart about how the budget got spent. So we didn't have a lot of time on a Foley stage. We had to get very specific 
about this, you know, how many days and, you know, what we were going to record because we only had a limited number of days that we could afford. But we ended up using um, on the first film, uh, as well as the second film, Foley One, which is a brilliant team that we work with sometimes. And yeah, uh, they work with our Foley supervisor who works with us on all of our um, all of our projects, uh, Jonathan Klein, who spends a lot of time working with the tracks that that um, are coming from the whole rest of our team. He starts queuing um, using as the tracks as they the sound design tracks as they come together as reference, so that he's not over cueings. He's really only cueing the um, the the necessary details, so we're not double covering things we're not going to be shooting more than we actually plan on using and if we if there's areas that we know we're really not going to want fully we're not going to go ahead and shoot it just to cover ourselves we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna put ourselves out there on a limb and you know make decisions about what we think is and we're going to end up wanting to hear and we're only going to have jonathan cue cue those things and we're only going to shoot those things so we can so we can really do it efficiently and so yeah um fully one did an amazing amazing job working within that sort of box that was you know we were working within and eric i'm sure you want to add to that yeah um i think one of our mantras on a quiet place part two was the smallest sounds are big sounds. <laughs> so whether it's like a close-up of a foot gently compressing sand and then the next foot stepping onto a leaf that's uncomfortably crunching, <laughs> um, those tiny sounds are huge sounds. They're so critical. And and that example, you know, where they get the family gets to the end of the sand path and they take their first steps into the beyond where they don't have the safety of that sand anymore, where any errant twig snap could mean death. That's kind of what the end of the first act of this film is about. This is the journeying beyond of this family. And uh, and it was the those kind of exacting sounds that um, the Foley team, you know, in any other movie – that stuff would just be rushed through and, you know, could be throwaway. But in A Quiet Place Part 2, those details are everything. That's that's every moment is about those kind of hold your breath for the small detail sounds, which are actually really big, really important sounds. So we're, we're, we're grateful to have, have such an amazing partners with, uh, with Foley One for going on this journey with us. Again, the sequence where our, our family comes upon, you know, their f- first kind of location outside of the homestead and having walked miles along uh, railroad tracks and they arrive at what we soon learn is Emmett's abandoned factory compound and he's set up a sonic trap, a sonic alarm system, which unfortunately Evelyn triggers well, first, squeezing with her backpack and baby in hand through this this uh, wire fence and 
uncomfortably stretching the metal of the wire and scratching along her, her backpack. And you know, oh, this is, I know it's not loud yet, but it's so uncomfortable and tense. That's an example of where a, a small sound, a, a detail like that is a big deal in this universe of a quiet place. And then shortly after, thinks, okay, take a breath, made it through that fence, and then steps right into a tripwire, <laughs> and uh, which triggers this alarm. Um, and then they have no choice but to run and, and try to evade um, the creature that has in inevitably been attracted by this sound they've just made that is too loud for safety. Well, let's listen to that tense sequence. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Run. What was the most challenging scene for you? <laughs> uh, the most challenging scene... Well, they were all pretty challenging, but um, if I would, ha if I had to pick one, um, you know, I'm thinking of the the sequence on the on the train car um, was challenging in terms of finding, you know, just the right balance between all you know all these different sounds that we were doing, and when you know when's the right moment to go into Regan's. Um, sonic envelope and when's the right moment to 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 come out of it and that's something that we played around with a lot and you know do we want to sort of smear into it or do we want to snap into it it's interesting because it doesn't seem um on a surface like a very complicated scene and i think as it plays it doesn't it doesn't strike you as being complicated, but finding just the right balance um, with those elements was was definitely um, a little tricky and took uh, took uh, quite a bit of experimentation. Would you talk about the challenge of uh, toward the end of the movie when you're cross cutting between two different action sequences? You know, they're uh, building tension when you're following the point of view with with one character or set of characters in one environment is one thing. The challenge of intercutting is that you can, you can lose that tension if the picture editing isn't perfect, if the, if the sound is not 
doing everything it needs to do in the moments. And that was that was our big concern in the finish. We're following this thread with um, Regan and Emmett, and then we're following another thread with Marcus and Evelyn and the baby. But it was constructed in – and this took a lot of work with John and, and the picture team, but it was in, constructed in such a way that um, – it worked. And the challenge for us was still finding the negative space to make the the beats to create moments when it when it's the creature moments with Regan and her earpiece or Marcus and Evelyn struggling to get safety in this furnace, which um is perhaps the quietest place in the entire movie where it's completely sealed not only from sound but also from air, which makes it very dangerous. Um, you don't want to get stuck in there and run out of air. And that was also the only location in the movie where we played no backgrounds, except for when Regan's cochlear implant is turned off. When we're inside that furnace, there is no other sound than their breaths and whispers. So I think those were some of the challenges of, of those two storylines, um, which then ultimately literally converge with a bang without ruining anything, I hope. <laughs> you know, just one thing to add to the, the challenge of that last sequence was how, do we, how does the sound design work with the music, which the music obviously becomes very important in terms of driving the emotion and driving the connectedness of, of our, of our characters as a family unit, you know, but having them separated geographically on their and on their separate journeys, but wanting to feel that they're connected and wanting to feel these stories are connected and, and the music really helps to do all that. But on the other hand, um, it makes it more challenging to figure out, how the sound design can really articulate the tension in each one of these stories, because so much of what we've set up in this universe is the idea of creating negative space. We don't really have that tool in our toolbox anymore when we're driving with the music. So we have to look for other ways to, to try and carve out enough space for the sound design to sort of articulate those moments, but still let the through line of the music, you know, sort of drive. And that becomes, yeah, that becomes sort of a, this tricky balancing act. And then, and another thing that kind of talking about those two final intercut locations within the fin the end of the movie, the other challenge is how do you take a cochlear implant feedback and make it enjoyable to listen to, <laughs> both in the environment that uh, Regan is broadcasting it and also on the other end where it's being picked up on a, by a radio. Um, that is such a challenging type of sound to make satisfying in the moment. <laughs> so and that I, I'd like to thank Marco Beltrami for giving us a gorgeous score that we could musically work with. <laughs> yeah, the incredibly talented, gracious, smart guy who, uh, 
you know, really looked at this film in the in a big picture kind of way, which I think was so critical for this movie has to be so put together like a puzzle and everything has to be really intentional where you play sound, where you don't, where you play music, where you don't. And collaborating with him um, and John as well in that process um, was so critical and such a joy. Could you also talk about collaboration with the editorial team? Yeah, well, so one of the ways that we like to work is to – you know, as soon as we are able to have some sequences, uh, the sound design done on sequences that Eric and I are happy with, we want to get them to the picture department. Uh, Mike Scheuer was the editor so that he could review them, so he could play them for John Krasinski, our director. And so they could both give us feedback on what they felt was working, what wasn't working, and how things could be better. And then as soon as, you know, they feel good about them and we feel good about, then it hopefully goes into the cut. So the the evolution of the cut really becomes a parallel process between the picture editing and the sound editing, where, you know, it's not just the picture editing informing what the sound editing and the sound design should be, but it also ends up working the other way where the sound design can inform how the picture cut evolves. It's a, it really becomes sort of a co- co-evolution of those two aspects um, of, the, of the filmmaking process. And, you know, to us, that's, that's critical in terms of what people end up seeing in the theater, feeling like this organic, um, holistic sort of piece an experience where the sound doesn't feel like an afterthought, but feels like something that's intrinsic in the DNA of this experience. And in some cases is really driving the experience. And so the idea of making that happen as early as possible in the process becomes becomes really important. So it can become a real collaboration between the, the director, the picture department, and the sound department, and, of course, the music department. And would you tell us about creating the Dolby Atmos version? Well, if, if there were ever a movie to experience in Dolby Atmos, it, it would be this one, <laughs> The Quiet Place Part 2. First of all, starting starting just with my philosophy in general, like the reason I love cinema is that it's, um, it allows filmmakers to create an experience for an audience where we can put the audience into a completely new environment. We can put an audience into the shoes of characters and create this immersive experience. Um, and, for me, sound is half of that experience, and especially so with A Quiet Place Part Two. Dolby Atmos basically gives you the most immersive, spatial, and uh, accurate um, sound listening environment to any format. And if you want to 
hear this film the way it was intended um, by us, the filmmakers, and to have the richest experience, I suggest listening to it in Dolby Atmos. There, we had so much fun uh, with using all 360 degrees of, of sound all throughout the movie, um, sometimes to lull you into a false sense of comfort and then some, sometimes to, to yank you out of it. So, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure. Thank you. Really fun. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.